Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. This is Leah Barber here, and today I have Jeff and Coach Ben with us again, and we're going to be talking about injury training. Now, Coach Ben has some advice for how to keep riding for a long time, not just for like a long length of time. He is an endurance coach after all, but for years to come. There's a lot of trails left out there to be explored in your lifetime. And to keep going, you've got to think about injury prevention. In particular, chronic or overuse injuries, rather than those injuries suffered from a bad crash or a fall. And I can hear those eye rolls coming from all you young bucks out there. But injury can happen to anyone, the young, the old, slow, fast, beginners, recreational riders, and even racers. And once it happens, you'll be wishing you put some of these tips into practice. Now, before we get into those tips, I just want to say we're not doctors, okay? So if you are injured, you're suffering from some of these chronic pains, some nagging injuries, please go seek some professional guidance. We're just here to give you tips. We're mountain bikers just like you. We suffer from some of these problems. And if you have something that's been bothering you with your body for a long time, it's best to go get some professional advice. So let's start. we seen a lot of common injuries on the forums at Single Tracks, and I want to talk to Ben a little bit about some of the common injuries and maybe what we can do about them and what causes them. So first up, very popular, very common is knee pain. So Ben, have you had much experience with diagnosing knee pain or addressing knee pain? Yeah. So one of the things I can't do as a sports massage therapist technically is I can't diagnose injury. Um, that's, that's against the law in the state of North Carolina. Hmm. But uh, I see a ton of knee pain. People come to me all the time complaining of medial or lateral knee pain. And the thing that you have to remember is that your knee is really just a hinge. So there's, there's a lot of times something else is impacting the knee. And quite often, it's actually the hip that is causing your knee pain. Hmm. So one thing that cyclists deal with a lot of, you know, that relates to that knee pain can be tension in your hip flexors or glutes or hamstrings. Um, That all impacts how your knee tracks and, and what happens in your knee. And so when I get somebody in my office and they talk about knee pain, we do postural assessment, we look at, hey, what's going on in that hip flexor? Because uh, a lot of times they have a real tight psoas. And if you think about your position on the bicycle, you're bent over forward and your your hip flexor in a, is in a uh, engaged, contracted position, sometimes for hours on end. Okay. So just real quick, backing up, the psoas, I think I know what this, I think it's part of your core or something. Can you describe a little bit more what muscle you're talking about? So the psoas and, and the iliacus are, are two of your primary hip flexors, and they are located, if you, you reach and you feel that kind of bump on the front of your pelvis, 
And then just to the inside of that bump, you'll start to feel the attachment of your primary hip flexors, your psoas and your iliacus. People call it the iliopsoas. And that those are the two muscles that should be doing the brunt of the hip flexion on the bicycle. Um, a lot of times, because of position on the bicycle or prior injury or just bad posture, they aren't doing primary hip flexion. And that's being done by your quadricep muscles, your rectus femoris, which is your largest quadricep. And what that causes you to do is actually flare your knee out. And I'm sure you guys have seen or ridden behind somebody who, you know, their knee is darting out to the right or to the left. Yeah, they look like they're riding kind of almost bow-legged. Like I, you could tell. You can't tell if it's yourself because um, you're kind of in a different position. But yeah, I often see people with, yeah, your, their knees are out. And I thought that that was more of a saddle positioning thing. It can be. It can be a saddle position thing. It can, it can be an ankle mobility thing. It can be a, a hip flexor tightness. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if your saddle's too low, you can't get your leg over the top of your pedal stroke. Mm-hmm. So you have to flare it out. You know, in the same sense, if you were pointing your toe down uh, because you don't have the ankle mobility to get over the top of the pedal stroke, that actually hikes your leg up in the pedal stroke. And again, you can't get your leg over the top of that pedal stroke. You have to flare it out. What that does is it changes the angle of the ball of your femur in that hip joint. And that can wear away at that nice round socket joint um, and, and eventually cause one of the most scary things as a cyclist, which is hip impingement. You know, you, you don't want hip impingement. So, Leah, when we talk about hip impingement, you know, one of the first things you, you mentioned was the core. And I like to think about core a little bit differently. And this, this is something that comes from one of my, uh, one of the therapists that I work with, a guy named Brian Beatty in Chapel Hill, who's a very talented physical therapist. And he taught me to think about the core as more of a, a functional concept instead of an actual destination on your body. So hmm. if you think about it that way, and you think about it and how it relates to the sport you're doing, mountain biking, what are the, you know, core is supposed to do what? Well, I think of the core just like as connecting your upper and lower body. That may or may not be totally true, but... Well, it's not wrong. It does. Yeah, it's, it's a connector, but it's also a stabilizer, right? Yeah, that makes sense. If, you're, if you have a weak core, you know, you're, you're not able to get the power that you want to get on the bike. So you also have to think about... What are the parts of your body that connect you to the bicycle? They're actually part of your core. So your arms, your pec muscles, your ankles, legs, hamstrings, glutes, all those things that touch the bicycle and are responsible for keeping you stable on the bicycle are part of your core. So instead of just thinking about your your abdominal muscles, we've got to think about this chain of muscles that allows you to spin your legs the most efficient way possible. Cool. That's definitely a new concept to me. It's actually also, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, it's a little bit daunting that now I feel like, oh man, I got to worry about every joint and every muscle of my body to be kind of working optimally to get the most out of my ride. 
it sounds a little daunting, but you know, it's it's actually pretty simple if you if you break it down. You know, I, people like to really dial in and do their squats and their sit ups and all this stuff. And the thing I tell a lot of my clients is think about the motions that you go through on the bicycle, and then we want to build an exercise program that allows you to be stable going through those motions and then be stronger going through those motions. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about some of those because now you've piqued my interest and I feel like I have, there's a whole full body workout coming along down the road here. So <laughs> um, maybe, maybe let's start with like the lower body. Obviously we talked about the hip flexion. There's a lot of quads going on there. Um, what are some things we can do exercise wise that'll help that whole lower body, that whole chain from the hip to the knee to the ankle? Well, so the first thing we want to do is stabilize your body. So a lot of times I'll have people go into a plank and then try and lift one leg up without shifting their weight entirely to the other side. And if they can't do that basic motion, then we need to work very basically on stabilizing you at the hips. Being able to do a plank and lift your leg up without moving to one side is really important because if you start to rock on the saddle and you're moving left and right every time you pedal, you're wasting energy. So planks are a great exercise to, to do. We do a lot of single leg squats without any weight at all. And again, the, the objective is to not shift your weight from one side to the other when you do those squats. It's to remain as, as vertical as possible. I do a lot of V-up type work because you, know, you don't do a whole lot of sit-up type motion on a bicycle. Sit-ups make, mm -hmm. make your abs look nice, but they're not very functional when you're a cyclist. <laughs> Oh, I've been working on my six pack. Yeah, man. You're saying you gotta, it doesn't matter. It's just, <laughs> it's just for the beach, I guess. It's, it's nice to have a six pack. Sure. But, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not very functional. So V ups, I'll do something where you're in that kind of boat position and you cycle your legs in cycling position. So our athletes tend to do a lot of leg motion similar to pedaling. So if they're going down in a single leg squat, they might be moving their leg in a circular fashion like they're pedaling a bicycle. And that engages your glutes and your hamstrings and your quads and your hip flexors and gets all of those muscles engaged and stabilized like you would need uh, to be an efficient mountain bike racer. Cool. Well, I'm glad you brought those three different exercises to my attention because I, I was thinking lower body and I thought you were going to go back to squats, but it sounds like what you described were very fundamentally core exercises where you actually have to use your whole body in a plank position, right? You've got that upper body going on, the shoulders going on, your front of your body, the quads and the back of the body, your glutes. And that's, it's actually really hard, really hard to do. I try to do, um, some variation of planks, you know, almost every day. And a, and a push-up is, is basically a moving plank. Um, you know, plank kind of sounds like that's just something for yoga and Pilates, but it's actually a really awesome strength move and, and working a lot of muscle groups at once. It's deceptively difficult. 
Absolutely. Same with the V-ups, right? Like sit-ups are one thing, but then once you're trying to balance on your sit bones or whatever, like you really have to concentrate on muscles that you don't normally use, or I guess they're muscles that aren't used as much. And that's why it's difficult, right? The sit-up motion, we kind of do it in other parts of our lives or we're bending down, we're kind of using that motion and it's almost like we cheat. But then when you throw it into like a, what did you call it? A V sit? <laughs> v up. <laughs> What'd you call it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a V and, you know, almost like you're on a recumbent bike. You're kind of sitting in that position and then you're pedaling your legs. So you have to engage all those abdominal muscles, your lower back, but then you have to pedal. Um, and, you know, and, and the goal is to try and work on an exercise that simulates you sitting on your bicycle and then, you know, translate that to, you know, if you're thinking about what goes first in a mountain bike race for you guys, what, what starts to hurt first? Hmm. I would, I mean, I would say it's probably my legs for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Legs. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I mean, I do more running and I feel like running doesn't, doesn't work your legs nearly as much as cycling does. Well, and, and when it's legs, you know, a lot of times it's quads or hamstrings. And when we start to hurt, we start to, we lose our form and we develop compensatory patterns. Um, you know, we flare our legs out or our knees kind of buckle. For me, it's my lower back and I start to develop this C shape on the bicycle and my, I hunch over and my shoulder blades stick out and, and you know, everything just starts to hurt. And if you really work on having good posture on the bicycle, you save a lot of energy and you're more efficient with your pedal stroke. You have a, a firmer platform to pedal off of. You know, it's, it's like the difference between jumping off a, a pavement and jumping off of sand. Yeah, that would be me too. I would have to agree that my kind of lower back is where when I get tired, I kind of want to just like, you know, slump my shoulders and my upper body and let my core kind of sag, for lack <laughs> of a better word, right? Like that part gets kind of tired. And I guess that is evidence that my core is weak. Well, yeah. And, and a lot of these exercises that I like to give people, I want to give stuff that is something that people can execute hopefully in their home. Um, so they don't have to go to the gym all the time. And I work with a lot of college students who, yeah, it's much easier for them. I can get them to do it if they do it in their dorm room. So a lot of the exercises I give are just body weight focused. They don't need dumbbells or anything like that. They can do four or five different exercises in a set just with their floor and maybe a yoga mat. And that's all they need. Awesome. So that eliminates some excuses, right? Like, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym. Oh, I don't (laughs) have a set of dumbbells. I don't want to have to go buy some dumbbells or pick up my cat and lift my cat. So (laughs) yeah, body weight. Great. Well, I mean, how, and how often are people doing these? I mean, is this the kind of thing you need to do every day or is it more of like a once a week thing or as needed even? I try to get people to do it two to three times a week seems to be what most people can get their heads around. Every day is probably too much. And once a week is probably not enough. 
Um, and you know, as you, as you get, you know, to our age, you can feel when you stop doing your core work, you're, you, you aren't able to ride on the bike as long. And this is a comment I get from a lot of my older riders is if they miss several days of core, their bike, their bike riding suffers from it. Um, they know that, oh man, I missed, I missed my cycling specific strength exercises. I hurt. And then they go back to doing it and that pain goes away. Huh. And how long are these core exercise sessions? 20 to 30 minutes max. Okay. You know, I, I have some stuff I'll give to people f- for when they're traveling that's, you know, you can do in your hotel room in 15, 20 minutes. This is, this is not an all day gym routine. Cool. Let's see how long Jeff can hold a plank. I'm going to yeah, time I'm him starting right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, in a lot of these, we start out, I like to use instead of reps, I like to use time. So, you know, 30 to 45 seconds for an exercise and then you move on to the next one and you go through your set and then you repeat your set and you're done. Um, pretty simple. I, I don't like giving people real complicated gym routines and, and, I think that is one of the things that discourages people from doing some of these exercises that are really important to preventing injury on the bike. Um, I want to go back to one of the exercises you mentioned, the, I guess, single leg squats and the single leg pedal simulation for, for lack of a better word. So I've seen, you know, on Instagram or whatever, a lot of different kind of lower body workouts like this and why is it important to work out kind of one side of your body as opposed to like a squat where you kind of just go for it with your full body? Why is it important to kind of work on left leg and then right leg or left side, right side? So symmetry is is very important in cycling. We are basically turning ourselves into pistons and we want to move in this really sagittal plane. And Anytime one side starts to dominate over the other side and we lose that symmetry, eventually that can lead to Im- uh, injury. And that's really what, when we're, when we're doing these exercises, we're working to prevent. And that's why we isolate left side or right side. We want to make sure that the left side and the right side are as, as close to equal as possible. You're always going to have a dominant side. Uh, for me, I've had a lot of injuries on my left side my right side is, is a lot stronger than my left side. So I have to really work on making sure those single leg squats are dialed in on my left side. My right side, you know, it doesn't take as much work for me. Hmm. So should I... Does that answer your question? It does. So should I do more reps on my weaker side? No, not necessarily. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, there's definitely a tendency to try and overwork one side. But with this stuff... Keeping everything, you know, keeping everything even is really important. Um, you know, there's no need to overwork one side. But being mentally aware of anything that is going wrong with another side is important. So um, mindfulness is something we talk about a lot. And noticing, hey, when am I shifting my legs over versus, you know, how does it feel if, if I shift my weight over my left side versus if I remain vertical in a squat? That's really important to know mentally what it feels like when your form is correct versus when your form is off. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, to me, that brings up a question too about how do you figure that out? I mean, you said mindfulness and really like 
paying attention to your form and stuff, but what do you do when you work with athletes? Do you use video or like pictures or things so they can actually see their form? Like, it seems like it would be really helpful to have someone observing you. I use my iPhone a lot. So a lot of times we will go out and first of all, we'll, we'll sit on the trainer and I'll just video somebody pedaling so they can see what's going on with their body. You know, it, there might be a, a twist in their hips or their back might be collapsing in a certain spot. And I want them to have an idea of what's happening. And then I'll move their body physically with my hands into a symmetrical position. And usually they're like, wow, that feels weird. <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting crooked on the bike now. And you're like, nope. You know, that's, that, that is neutral. So for them to be able to see and feel what neutral is first is really important. And then we'll typically start with that uh, plank position and leg lift, which I like to use a lot. And, and being able to film somebody and show them how they shift over to stabilize themselves. And then what it looks like when I'll put maybe a foam roller next to their hip. Mm-hmm. And when they lift that leg up, they'll tap the foam roller and knock it over versus when they're able to stabilize, they don't touch the foam roller. And using little cues like that are really helpful for people to keep them stable. I, I keep using that term, but stability is so important. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you can't stabilize, you're going to have a tough time staying injury free. Yeah. Is that one of the reasons, too, that people use um, like dual power meters or like a left and a right, uh, so that they can, they can tell like if they're putting more power out on one side of their body or the other, do you look at that as a coach? I do, uh, not a whole lot. Typically people are actually pretty close. Um, you know, it's like 52, 48, uh, you know, or, or a little bit different where it tends to go South is when people get tired mm-hmm. and the, the dominant leg takes over a little bit more. Yeah. So you can dig into that, but I, to be honest, I don't go down that hole too often. I prefer doing that stuff off the bike. And I think people respond to working one-on-one and being able to see that video and that postural analysis and feel it better than when they get a data dump that says, hey, you know, your right leg's doing 60% of the work and your left leg's doing 40% of the work. You know, that that is a cue and we can then address that off the bike, but I go at it from the off the bike stuff first. Yeah, I'm really conscious of it, you know, taking photos and things for various projects that we're doing, you know, if it's a product review or like a travel piece that we're working on and, you know, I for a long time, I would see the pictures of myself riding and I'd be like, whoa, is that what I look like? You know, and is once you see the picture of yourself riding, you immediately are like, that's not right. You know, like I am hunched over or I'm, you know, leaning this weird way. Like, why do I ride like that? And (laughs) so I'm a big advocate of, yeah, getting somebody to photograph you and, you know, taking the chance to look at that and really assess it. And like you said, you then you start to recognize it when you're on the bike be like, Hey, I think I'm doing that thing that, you know, I saw in the picture last month and yeah, it, it does help. That's where the mindfulness comes in. And it's also, you know, beyond the exercise side of things, it, it leads into the body work side of things where if I do notice that a rider's knee is flaring, I may want to actually address that on the massage table and see, you know, okay, we need to release those hip flexors or we need to release that glute med 
And then I'll put you back on the bicycle and see what happens after we've done some of the body work. So a lot of times when I mix body work and exercise and, and cycling all in one session, we're, we're hopping between trainer and uh, gym floor and massage table in the span of 90 to 120 minutes. Great. So it sounds like, yeah, stability is key on the bike because we're going to want to do some of those single leg movements like when we're doing switchbacks, climbing up switchbacks or down switchbacks. There's surprisingly a lot of balancing that we need to do on the bike beyond just, you know, the kind that you learn when you're a kid because you have to be in these varied positions in mountain biking especially, right? It, it just kind of goes with the terrain, you have to kind of be able to respond quickly. So balance is huge. Balance is one of the most important parts of mountain biking for sure. And if you think about just rock gardens, going through a rock garden and your hips are shifting, your legs are shifting, your upper body's going left and right. And you need to be able to have a stable core, move your legs around the bicycle and then move your arms sometimes in the opposite direction. So being able to replicate that in an exercise situation is key. A lot of times I'll have, uh, I use a, a yoga ball, have somebody balance on a yoga ball. So they'll roll forward on their knee and then pull a weight across their chest. So think about, you know, rocking your handlebars and your, your hips are moving around. And it's all about trying to, you know, replicate that motion in a mountain bike race in the gym and I love using instability exercises, especially with new riders, because it's it's a challenge. And, and it's a challenge in the gym. You know, it's a little more fun than it's more. It's certainly more fun than doing just plain old planks or push ups or whatever. People trying to balance on yoga balls look silly. <laughs> uh, and there's always room for improvement with balance. I think like maybe even if you went up to a yoga teacher, there's probably some part of her body or his body that there is some imbalance that is going to be challenging for them. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I've been, I've been doing stuff, uh, stability exercises for a, a good portion of my, my cycling life. And I, if I, if I put them down for a couple of weeks, I come back and I'm rusty. You know, it's, it's something that is constant. It's, it's a constant thing. And as you, certainly as you age, it's something that you need to keep up with to stay proficient on the bicycle. Okay. So let's see. How can we approach this so that core exercises don't seem too intimidating and I don't want to have to go to a yoga class? So could you maybe give us your top five core stability exercises that anyone can kind of do at home or at the office, anywhere they have? A, a little bit of room. Well, I like, you know, again, I, I don't, I don't like using a whole lot of equipment and I know there's a lot of us out there who aren't big fans of going to a gym. So, you know, the really all, all you can, all you need uh, is a, is a yoga mat and maybe, maybe a yoga ball are great tools to have, but I like to start out with a plank. You mean like one of those big inflatable one of the big inflatable balls that uh, you like to bounce around on. But uh, a plank is a great start, and being able to do a plank with a leg lift is is really helpful. Mm. I like a, a single leg squat. Okay. And you can add a cycling leg motion to that, and 
maybe we can we can post some pictures uh, for your listeners. Yeah, for sure. V ups with kind of a bicycle leg is a, is another great another great exercise. And let's see, what else do I have my my athletes do? I like to do a side plank too because there's a lot of lateral stability that needs to happen. So really, if you start with those four exercises, you're ahead of the game. Cool. And that's it. And, you know, maybe try to start 30 to 45 seconds for each exercise and then go through it one more time. That's all you need to start with. It's, it's not, it, this shouldn't be a daunting task. Um, and it, you will see improvements on the bicycle. And then when do we get to do the burpees? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody likes the burpees, but um, nobody <laughs> likes the burpees. But great. That seems really reasonable to do, you know, on days that, I mean, even before a bike ride, maybe. Absolutely. You know, we talk a lot about activation and that plank with a leg lift activates is is great for glute activation. And your glutes are really powerful muscles that are sometimes very underused as a cyclist, which is, you know, those are, that's the biggest tool you have. So being able to do a plank and lift your leg a couple of times before your bike race is, you know, get those glutes turned on. You're going to have, you're going to have a better pedaling motion. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. That reminded me of, you know, a couple of years ago, I injured my ankle. I sprained my ankle running and it, and it took just seemingly forever to kind of work things out because all kinds of things were wrong with my body. I found out I had the whole weak hip or weak glutes and tight hip flexors issue. And I kind of went back to the basics of these core exercises that you're mentioning, plus a lot of those glute bridges. Those are something that they're easy to do too. Um, I would definitely, I, I still do those now every day, kind of before I do a workout, I'll, I'll do it for that very reason, the glute activation. Yep. Glute activation is really important. And, you know, just doing a yoga class from time to time is, is great. You know, having flexibility is very important and changing up your routine. You know, yeah, we have these, these very focused core exercises, but sometimes it's fun to do something else. I have, I have a rider that I work with and after her cycling season is over, she does modern dance classes and she does it because she's, you know, like we mentioned, she's a piston all bike race season living on the sagittal plane. And we want to break up some of that, that, motion and have her cross her center line a little bit and do something that is a little bit different and helps her relax and just mentally unwind a little bit. And for her, modern dance is that thing. And, you know, that's, that's great. That works for her. You know, I, I encourage a lot of my juniors to do other sports because if you're just a cyclist, you know, you're, you're at risk for those repetitive use injuries, um, you know, knee, ankle, hip, all of that stuff. It's, it's great if they can go play soccer or run cross country or do something else that uses some different movements. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, even if we're not, you know, professional athletes riding our mountain bikes 40 hours a week, like most people have day jobs, 
the majority of our lives aren't spent doing those cycling specific motions. So it sounds like we should probably be doing other things to keep our body moving um, the way it was intended to move. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, motion is your friend. Uh, you know, the, the more mobile you are, the, 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 better, the better you're going to end up for sure. Yeah. So is there anything though on the bike that we should be doing? Um, like when we are out on our mountain bike rides, you know, not just the training rides, but the fun ones too. Like what could we be conscious of? Um, or are there maybe some drills that we can do to help us with mindfulness and focusing on stability? So I like, I like to, a lot of times I'm, I'm riding with some of my riders and I'm having them, you know, keeping their spine neutral. That's really important. A lot of people get that big arc in their spine because their, their back is tired or they, they haven't developed a level of core strength. Or they're wearing a big, heavy camelback. <laughs> yeah, or they're wearing a big, heavy hydration pack. I feel like those cause more injury than bike crashes. I've gotten into this thing called the rip strip from race face yeah it's like uh the hip pack thing yeah man those are awesome i i feel like i'm so much more mobile on a on a mountain bike with that yeah good but anyway you know like practicing uh quarter stroking so going through a rock garden and you know you're not necessarily going through a full pedal stroke so you're you're doing maybe a quarter quarter pedal stroke just to move the bike forward through a really technical section of trail feeling your abdominal muscles and your glutes on the bicycle while you're doing that and just noticing all those touch points. Um, it's, it's really helpful as a mountain biker if you can feel what is engaged during certain points in your ride so that you can translate that back into your off the bike workout. You know, if, if I know that, uh, when I'm, when I'm going through a super technical section of trail and I can feel my pec muscles engage and my triceps and I know my glutes and my hamstrings are, are really working hard. It makes more sense to me when my coach tells me to do these things off the bike, you know, I, I identify with it more and I feel like I'm, I'm getting more of a benefit from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. What's your, what's your, what are your thoughts on, uh, like different hand positions during rides? Can you use that to like build strength and to kind of work different muscles? I mean, I know back in the old days, you know, like cross country riders had like bar ends and stuff, but now we're even seeing, you know, these more complicated bar designs for bike packing and things where people have different hand positions. So is that helpful or, or should there be like a neutral position for your hands that you can keep them in the whole time that's going to be the optimal position? I, the, for me, a neutral, neutral position for your wrist is really important. When I raced, I had those ons and bar ends and, you know, experimented with different positions. But now, you know, I, I just, the biggest thing I tell my riders to do is keep that wrist as straight as possible um, and, and relax. What you don't want to see is that kinked wrist once that, that wrist is kinked, your extensor muscles are flexed and you're, you're using energy to kink that wrist. Um, you know, and, and you get a feeling of like carpal tunnel or you get that. A lot of people complain of numb hands, or tingling fingers. Keep your wrist neutral and, and a lot of times that's less likely to happen. 
And then the other thing is making sure your position, your, your handlebar position is right for you. You don't want locked elbows and you don't want to be reaching at the shoulder. You know, your, your scapula should be relaxed on your, on your back. You shouldn't be tense on the bicycle. It should be a relatively, you know, think of yourself as a spring. And if all your joints are locked out and you hit something, you're going to go down. Whereas if your elbows are bent, your shoulders are relaxed and you hit an obstacle, your body is able to absorb some of that shock along with the suspension on the bicycle. So what are your thoughts on uh, warming up before a ride? Is that, you know, you see people doing that before a race and stuff, guys out on their trainers or, you know, running short laps out on the course. But is that, I mean, I know it's good for racing, seems that way because a lot of racers do it but is it also important for just going out for your weekend ride absolutely you know if you you know you you hop out of your your car and you jump on the bike with a bunch of guys because you're late to the ride and you just drill it from the start you're gonna feel crappy (laughs) um (laughs) you know it's it's you know one your heart rate doesn't have a chance to get up so you, you go out and you pin your heart rate from the start um all of a sudden there's a rush of lactic acid and, you know, your, your body isn't able to recover as quickly. If you give your muscles a chance to warm up and uh, you bring your heart rate up gradually, you're going to be able to last longer on a bicycle ride. You know, and then the other side of that is cooling down is really important too. You want to return those muscles back to their, their relaxed state. Um, you know, they've been working hard. They're, they're pumped full of blood. There's probably some fatigue. You know, and doing a light cool down in the parking lot for five, 10 minutes is, is very helpful. And, and you'll feel that the next day, as opposed to if you just go on a really hard ride, you hop in the car and you take off, you know, when you get out of the car, your legs are on fire. So yeah, let's talk about the next day. What do you do? What do you do about soreness after a ride? Is that one, is that a good thing? I always, I always kind of like being sore. Leah laughs at me. She's like, that's not right. You shouldn't be sore. But I'm like... The good sore and the bad sore. Yeah. I'm like, well, that means that I like, had a really good workout. So yeah, talk about, talk about soreness and stretching after, after a big ride. Soreness is, you know, soreness can be okay. Um, there's, you know, soreness persists in a certain area. Uh, you know, there may be an acute injury and it's something that you do need to pay attention to. But most of the time, soreness is is just something we call DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. You know, it's a, a reaction to, like you said, a hard ride. Stretching is is important. You know, if you can stretch after your ride, that's great. I like to foam roll. I'm a, a big proponent of foam rolling. Yes, I love the foam roll. I used to hate it, but I love it so much now. I can't live without my foam roller. If you can't get body work done on a fairly regular basis... I would recommend a foam roller, you know, and, and learning how to roll your hamstrings and your quads and your adductors, all those muscles that are, are working really hard during a mountain bike ride. If you can, if you can roll them out and loosen up some of that connective tissue and flush out some of that metabolic waste, it, it may hurt at the time, but it, it'll feel better later. Yeah. What does that, what does that actually do? physically though i mean is it is it just about eliminating the pain or is having that stuff that you know bad stuff in your muscle is that actually going to hinder your performance yeah i mean you know so there's there's two things going there's connective tissues uh that 
that separates and sits on top of muscle in your body. And it can, for lack of a better term, basically get stuck to that, that skeletal muscle. And the foam roller is using a, a basic technique called myofascial release. And, you know, it's helping you gain some mobility between those two types of tissue and breaking up any adhesions between that, um, that connective tissue, which as it cools down, it, it, it changes state and actually becomes more of a solid. Whereas when it's warm, um, it's, it's, it's not quite a gel, but it's, it's, it's able to move across the muscles more easily. And so when you do cool down and you start to foam roll, that helps break up any adhesions and allows for easier muscle movement underneath that or, or between those pieces of connective tissue. Hmm, good to know. So one thing I'm curious about, I know you work with mountain bikers and road bikers. Which one is more high impact? Do you see different like rates of injury among road bikers versus mountain bikers? It seems like, you know, you're talking about sort of cross training and doing different activities. It seems like mountain bikers are more active on the bike and maybe they would have fewer of those repetitive injuries. But yeah, I'm curious to know if there is a difference. Actually, it's, it's kind of the opposite. I see less injury with mountain bikers than I do road racers um, and road cyclists. Um, you know, and if you think about the environment that they're in, a, a road cyclist, when they hit the ground, they're hitting pavement. Yeah. Those kind of injuries, like falling off the bike type of injuries, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A, a, acute blunt force type injuries. Um, and then repetitive use injuries. Cause you know, road cyclists are, are not moving around on the bike a whole lot. Whereas mountain bikers are moving around a lot more. And mountain bike rides for a lot of people tend to be a little bit shorter, um, you know, that from, from a mileage standpoint and, and from a time standpoint, because you've got to drive out to the trail, you've got to get your bike out, ride, and then drive back. And for people who are riding on the weekends, you know, it limits time. So, um, I would say most of the repetitive use stuff I see comes from the road side of the game. And most of, you know, mountain bike injuries tend to be, you know, breaking the skin. Um, sometimes it's, you know, falling in a rock garden, moving some stuff around. But I, I see much less serious injuries from mountain biking, which seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, but, you know, if you fall on dirt, it hurts a lot less than falling on, on asphalt. So with, with that, you know with things like falls, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, you want to talk to somebody when, you know, there's an injury that persists. So yeah, a lot of times on a mountain bike, you'll fall, you get a bruise, it goes away in a few days. Jeff, you talked about that, that good soreness. And there's also the bad soreness. Um, you know, if, if, uh, you hit your, your hip and you've got a kind of a stinging pain in your hip and that just develops into, you know, it's, it's a acute pain that's not going away. There's, there's a bunch of people that you can see. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will, will want to go see, uh, uh, a doctor, you know, if, if certainly if you've got a, um, any kind of cut or anything like that, that's not closing, that's really important. Mm -hmm. But muscle soreness, that's kind of persistent. I talk to a, you know, look for a good sports massage therapist or, or, uh, a physical therapist that you know that deals with athletes 
they can do a lot of good before you go see, you know, somebody like an orthopedic surgeon. Um, a lot of times I have people who, who have come to me after they've gone to see an orthopedic surgeon first. <laughs> and, you know, if you go see a surgeon, their tool is cutting a lot of times. You know, a massage therapist or a PT, they're going to approach it from a less, much less invasive angle. And, you know, not to say a surgeon is, is, is bad and, and, and anything like that, but it's important to get the appropriate treatment for what you're doing. And, you know, don't, don't use the nuclear option right away. There's levels of treatment that you can, you can go through, uh, you know, and if you do need a diagnosis, you need to go see a doctor or a physical therapist. It is very important, but muscle soreness or, you know, soreness on, on joint movement, it might be good to go see you know, a chiropractor or a massage therapist. I think what I'm hearing is you don't want to wait till you need that orthopedic surgeon, right? If you're noticing, it kind of goes back to that mindfulness. You're noticing your body is responding to you saying, I need a little attention here. I'm a little sore. I'm a little hurt. If your body is saying that to you, you should, you know, see a doctor or a massage therapist that can narrow in on that area. Like you said, a physical therapist. And, and I'm glad you mentioned like a, a, a sports specific one. I, I went through, I think it was like three physical therapists till I, I found one that like would treat my body like I was an athlete. And I'm, you know, I'm no professional racer or anything, but I just respected that he would understand that this is how I want to use my body. I'm going to beat it up a lot. And I need someone that can really look for what's wrong and where my inefficiencies are. So there's definitely somebody out there. Absolutely. Having somebody that can identify with, you know, your level of activity and, you know, the, the motions you're going through and, and that, you know, you may ride sore sometimes and that's not, you know, things aren't always going to be perfect for an athlete. So being able to work with somebody that the PT that I send a lot of my athletes to is, is a very experienced cyclist and he knows when, uh, you know, I, I have an athlete complaining of a hip injury, he knows where to look first. And, you know, a lot of times he'll be able to hone in on treatments much more easily than if you just send it to a, a general PT or general, you know, massage MV type person who, you know, specializes in Swedish massage and they don't, you know, they're great at relaxing people, but they, you know, don't know a whole lot about working with uh, an athlete. Yeah, I think too. I mean, it's important to note that all of this is very complicated. You're not going to figure this out by listening to this podcast. And, you know, you mentioned a whole list of people, professionals who can help, you know, diagnose and then treat various injuries. But, you know, one we didn't even mention is like a bike fitter, you know, I mean, that's something too, that a lot of people skip, they don't, they don't get their bike fitted properly. And, you know, some problems that people have could be as simple as, you know, getting a different stem on your bike or, you know, getting a different handlebar. And so I think as men, especially, you know, mountain biking is a sport dominated by men, particularly, you know, sort of older, not older, but 20 to 45 year old men who tend to not want to ask for help. And so it, 
I mean, I think it's great to mention all these possible people because, yeah, I mean, maybe you're not comfortable going to your doctor, but maybe it's something simpler and less painful um, to go ask your buddy who is an expert in bike fitting or, you know, go to your local shop or find a physical therapist or a coach or, you know, there's all these different people out there and you're not going to figure it out on your own, honestly. You know, if you're having this problem and you, you keep having it, then um, it is time to definitely seek out professional advice. The biggest thing I can say about that is, yeah, like you mentioned, don't don't wait until it gets out of control or hurts so much that you really do need detailed medical attention. If your body hurts, it's trying to tell you something. Figure Figure it out and go talk to a professional whether it's a massage therapist or a bike fitter or, you know, any of those people. And the other thing is, if you're getting into the sport, you need to build a network of people that can treat these, not necessarily injuries, but, but are experts in bike fitting and, you know, uh, being able to notice certain types of injuries and treat injuries and or help you build a strength routine that will prevent you from getting injured. So, you know, mountain biking is really one of those sports that there's, there's a lot of different types of experts out there. It's important to do your homework, trust opinions of the people that have been in the sport a long time and have a, a, a good education and, and solid background in whatever they're talking about. Yeah. And it sounds like that's sort of what you're doing with the Endurance Collective, right? You're partnering with, yeah, with that network. You're sort of creating that network. So if someone comes to you and has an issue, then that's, you can say, you know what, like, you don't need a coach. You need to talk to this other guy who's, you know, a physical therapist or um, a bike fitter or whatever. Exactly what, what, you know, the Endurance Collective was created with a thought that, you know, when I'm, if, if I move to town and I have all of these needs, but I don't know anyone, um, as, as a mountain bike racer, I want to know who's the best PT in town, who's the best sports massage therapist in town. I need to know a coach and maybe a cardiologist and, uh, a dietitian. And at the Endurance Collective, we have a group of those people that we've compiled and we share similar philosophies and work on similar clients and patients so that if somebody comes to one of us, we can refer out to all of those other people and eliminate some of that uh, search that has to happen. And all that money. I'm, I just go back and I think about how much money I spent on physical therapists that didn't really get me anywhere until I kind of got to that last one that I made a connection with. So definitely a huge time saver, definitely a very efficient process. I love what you're doing over there at the Endurance Collective. Well, thank you, Ben, for joining us again today. I know I've certainly learned a lot. If you'd like more tips about mountain bike injury prevention and recovery, check out singletracks.com where we have articles about preventing everything from arm pump to saddle sores. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.